freedom and censorship can't exist in the same world. And that's true whether it's the government or private corporations who do the censoring. Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, and welcome to the Coleman Nation podcast. It's a show where I sit down with guests to discuss the future of free expression and thought in our interconnected world. Here, we will focus on issues involving social media, cancel culture, and free expression that everybody who cares about ideas or freedom should be wrestling with. Hello, culminators. I would like to introduce you to Matt Sweetwood today. Uh, let me do so a little bit by a little bit of a hint of one aspect of his extremely varied internet presence. Matt and I uh, know a lot of the same people. Uh, and we, as I just told him before we, we started recording, we've been rubbing shoulders against each other for many, many years. And we decided that we ought to have a little chat and include everybody in it because what we have to say, everybody's definitely going to want to hear. So Matt, good to have you today. It is. The pleasure is all mine to be here. I can't wait to really get into it. I'm like uh, running in place as we do this. Well, that's very exciting. Having already um, asserted your, your um, leverage by telling us that you've just moved down to Boca, as I sit here in Newark on a January afternoon. <laughs> hey, listen, I've had some really good, really good moments in Newark. Love the food in the Portuguese section. <laughs> I was a devil's season ticket holder for a long time. So oh, Newark is in my heart. Well, it is nice to get a little respect then for, you know, what is still the largest city in New Jersey and is involved yeah. in a very substantial renaissance. Yeah, it was. I agree. I, I have nothing but hope for Newark and hope that it um, can see can see a real heyday again. Matt, where where are you originally from? I'm a Jersey guy. You are Jersey. I've lived in oh yeah, Jersey. I grew up in West Orange. Raised my kids uh, in Millburn, New Jersey. I went to the school system. My businesses were in Kearney, Fairfield, uh, Florham Park. I lived in Morristown. So I am Jersey all the way. Well, you know, it's funny that you, it is not funny. In fact, it's entirely characteristic of you. When looking at your website, uh, I, I, I observed that when you describe your, your many achievements, and, and Matt is a very successful businessman, and he, he does all the things. But he, he says here that his greatest achievement is raising five successful children to adulthood, much less as a single dad. This is... Uh, very unfashionable of you to say such a thing. Uh, you're supposed to be living for yourself and yourself, <laughs> your self um, realization and self actualization. I mean, look at look at uh, Joe Biden. Ten percent for the big guy. I am. Um, I think I'm too old for narcissism. I think that. <laughs> I think I just. I just kind of as you know was under the line there or something like that. You know, it's funny. I talk to people all the time, young people. If you ever talk to young women. They always like, where did all the men go? Why couldn't you be younger? You know, kind of thing. You get that response a lot, right? Well, you know, I, I, I once had a, a, there was a secretary when I worked in, in, in a, back when Manhattan was a place that you could live and work in. <laughs> and I, I had a gorgeous office on Fifth Avenue and 53rd Street. And I, one of the secretaries who worked right outside my office walked right past me. 
and didn't make eye contact. So I gave her, I was nudging her a little bit. I said, didn't you see me? She said, yeah, but I saw, I saw you at a peripherally, but whenever I see a guy who looks married, I said, what do you mean I look married? This is, <laughs> this is 20 years ago, okay? Wait, were you I, crying or something? You, like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know, and I don't, I don't wear a ring. Yeah, yeah. So she said, no, believe me, you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Well, all right, fine. So, so people, I yes. think you know, I, I look conspic conspicuously married. Matt, what's what's going on with you? You know, you know the theme of the the theme of the of, of the podcast, which I take very lightly, but I always have to touch on it so the people yeah. tuning in for that is, you know, is free speech to cancel culture. And by gosh, you've got one hundred fifty thousand followers and a blue check, the coveted blue check um, on Twitter. So, and yet you, I, I'm sure I'm finding a way to avoid censoring yourself excessive. I mean, I will take for granted here that if you're having this discussion with me, uh, you're not a hard left liberal because those people won't come on my show. I, I, I you know. I, <laughs> Here's what I will tell you is that I've been the CEO of several companies. And when you work for a larger organization or a medium sized organization, you have to bite your tongue. I'm now running a startup. I have a really cool startup called Greener Process Systems, where we install um, uh, emissions mitigation systems for ocean-going ships. Really cool thing. We need to get in Pola out there in Los Angeles and fix them. But now that I work for myself and I'm in a startup world, I say whatever the frig I want to say. Now, with, uh, with the caveat that I don't feel like taking my whatever 10 or 12 years I've been on Twitter and all of those followers and and they're not just fake followers. I have serious engagement on Twitter, right? You know, these go buy followers, stupid thing. You know, I, I have followers on there. I'm very careful about what I say, which is why I, in a way I was really happy to get out. I actually got out on Getter, right? You yes. Know, and, and be able to, and be able to, you know, where you can be a whole lot more free. So while I basically say what I want because I don't have to answer to a board and I don't have to answer to shareholders or whatever, who cares about cancel culture from that perspective. On social media, I have to be careful, but I do also think about what I'm going to say, you know, will a client see that? Well, you know, you're always that was, right. That was my next question. Right. Because, all right, good. You're, you're only reporting to yourself, uh, you know, and a CEO, even of an established organization, as you know, from your own experience, is reporting to his shareholders. And even if he owns the company himself, he's reporting to his employees because if he blows it and says something stupid and all of a sudden get, becomes, everyone gets boycotted or canceled, he's blown it. There is a, so my friend, um, Adam um, Townsend talks a lot about how you can, you can really make yourself understood. I mean, think of some, there are some really prominent people on Twitter on the right who have managed not to be meaningfully throttled. Now, I, in my case, my replies are all de-boosted. They're all hidden behind the, that baloney, um, you know, message that says click, you know, you have to click an extra time. So I, my, the growth of my account has been, despite efforts by Twitter to throttle me a little bit. But you have to know how to, you know, how to color within the lines. As a general rule, most people, most people who, who are, you know, I'll say our age, you might have a year or two on me, um, manage to do this and figure out how to not get booted off 
uh, and yet to make our, make it clear what our what our point of view is. That's right. I, I think that there is a technique, and I do employ that technique. You know, when I go out there, you're very careful about what you say. If you have any kind of writing skill, you um, you can metaphorically um, <laughs> explain what you really wanna what you really wanna say, and you can you can basically communicate. I mean, if you say something like go out there and you say, you know. Most of the people getting sick right now, you know, have been vaccinated and the vaccine really doesn't do anything clearly to prevent you getting it or transmitting it, you will get taken down. So uh, the other side of that is that everybody knows that's true. So you don't really need to say it. That's that's right. And it's interesting that you choose that example, because I, I'm sure you have this also based on this because you 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 have the same size following that I do. And. People are sending you all the DMs all the time with tweets they want you to amplify, either from themselves or from. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. And often you have to disappoint them because they're just too much on the nose. And you might agree with, or, or more importantly, and this is especially true for me as a lawyer, they're they're often, in other words, I get a lot of stuff about this doctor or this professor who has this great YouTube video, which explains about yeah, yeah, yeah. all the things. I don't have time to watch that video. And if I get a video from Jack Posobiec, I don't have to watch the video because Jack is a trusted source, notwithstanding what his enemies say. That's a guy I trust. Right, of course. Mm -hmm. but, but I can't vouch for, so I have to be especially careful and you do too, because you know, Twitter, I don't know what their social ranking system is, but it exists. And you need, you need, you know what, everyone should be that responsible. And I learned some hard lessons. I tweeted some stuff, I would say during the election and around the time of the election that I regret, or I retweeted some stuff, things that were not necessarily well founded. Um, it's interesting to me that you talk about getter. Uh, that gives me another excuse actually to, to do another sh screen share because just looking through your recent tweets, there's my partner, Harmeet Dillon, who you consider, you're, you obviously are so enamored of her and her work that you featured her as uh, somebody that that was a, a great example of somebody that, that you could find and get her. And she, I want to talk- She is a warrior, come on, she is a warrior. I'm, you know, this is one of those, when I, when I see what she does, I feel really sort of small as a human because I'm sitting here talking the talk, you know, like I want to change the world and what's going on in this world makes me really mad. And yet I'm still in my business and haven't figured out how to do anything about it. And this is a person who is doing everything about it. She's actually unbelievable what she's doing. I mean, she essentially just won the Supreme Court case for the OSHA mandate. I mean, it was her client, the Daily Wire, that, that won. So, I mean, this is, I mean, come on, this is, she's, she's great. So, you know, we, we try to all stick together. I, I've spoken to her personally. Um, so I, I, I thought, hey, and I happen to know the people that can kind of maybe get her a check, you know, the equivalent of the blue check out there. So I'm like, hey, come out there and do it. I mean, I don't know if Getter is going to work. I hope it does. I, I like the people that are connected to it. And we want we want to see a win, right? We want to see a win. That's right. And I, so, so let, me, let me first make clear to, to listeners that we filed in the Sixth Circuit and were the lead plaintiffs on the OSHA challenge. Mm -hmm. 
But when the Supreme Court accepted the um, petition, it actually skipped over us and chose rather than Ben Shapiro, which is a perfectly good client as far as we're concerned, but I think they wanted a broader based um, um, petitioner. So they chose this Association of Attorneys General, um, of a particular attorneys general uh, and uh, a business coalition. But I will say, I heard phrases being used during oral argument that I could swear came out of our brief. So it, we were definitely in the mix. And yes, she, she's a pioneer, Harmeet, and she is terrific to work with. Let's talk a little bit about Getter. Um, I will tell you that she's stretched very thin and whether she's interested in being yeah, a pioneer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but I've, you know, it's been an interesting experience there. I mean, I was, ne I never really enjoyed my experience on Parlor, And then when it went, you know, when, when they had the plug pulled on them, so, so in inappropriate. It's unbelievable. So it's actually one of the scariest moments when those three big tech companies just all teamed up. Google, Apple decided, and, and Amazon, to me, the most unbelievable part was Amazon. Well, and, and people point out that Amazon is also hosted on Getter's, um, you know, yeah. I mean, Getter is also hosted on hosted Amazon on servers. AWS, yeah. And that is why, to some extent, Getter is not, it's not Gab. They're not promising that you can say anything you want and, and we're going to let you hang around. They're saying we're going to try. Basically, our, our rules are going to be a lot like Twitter's rules, but we're going to enforce them fairly and evenly. That doesn't mean that everyone thinks they have done that. Yeah. But it is always funny to me when people say, you know, they trash Getter on Twitter telling me, well, Getter's not really a free speech platform. Dude, you're telling me this on Twitter. Okay, right, exactly. Okay? It can't be worse. But, but I will tell you something else that's remarkable. I'm sure you've already had this experience is that when Twitter does pull the plug on someone, if we all know that they've moved together, we at least can hook back up with them there. And it's, it is not the same experience. It is much more of an echo chamber. Uh, the, I think one thing that they did do remarkably well, though, is replicate the Twitter experience. And it's, it's, it is a... By, by now, everyone will have heard my my uh, interview with Yossi Schmidt <laughs> by the time this this um, airs. But it I went as soon as they rolled out, you had a sense that you were really replicating the Twitter experience. It doesn't have DMs. It doesn't you know, it's not as powerful as Twitter. But they, I think they did a pretty good job of simulating it. I'm a little bit annoyed at some people who follow me on Twitter who have not yet <clears throat> noticed me on Getter, but I'll, I'll eventually. Yeah, I, I have to actually been the CEO of a social media network a few, back, a few years back. We actually built a pretty good network. It's actually run out of Spain now only. Um, and I will tell you the tech behind this is, is quite difficult. This is not, not such an easy thing to do, as you can see by Twitter, which by tech standards has unlimited resources um, and can um, build anything they want. And Twitter's had bugs for years, you know, and missing features and so on. So it's not actually such an easy thing to do. But what I feel like is going on with Getter is that um, I feel like people are using it as a placeholder for now. In other words, you're like, okay, I need to get my name. I need to go out there and let's see if they, they go. But then they go back 
to Twitter and they go back to wherever they're playing and they play there and they're not really playing so much on Getter yet. Yeah, I mean, one thing, I mean, I, I will also do a little little pitch here for a, a startup that I have been involved with for a few years, which is CloudHub, which is not trying to replicate the Twitter experience as such. It's a little bit more like Facebook, um, but it's also, they have video hosting that is very powerful. Um, and I get more views and I'm get, not getting anything like massive views on my videos, but far, I do better on CloudHub than I do on YouTube. YouTube doesn't like me. I mean, the word is out that YouTube does not support new creators. And I only really started uploading to YouTube in the last year or so. You know, I will tell you, I've not done a good job on YouTube either. It's just been, I don't know why, you know, I've done a good job on Facebook. I verified account on Facebook. I, I have basically almost max followers on LinkedIn, Twitter, the same. And I don't know, I just, I somehow feel like I might've missed the boat there and, and not really promoting heavily on. Uh, well, you do have to make your choices. And one thing I actually always find interesting is that I'll sometimes hear about a podcast or be invited to, to you know, to speak, uh, to be interviewed on a podcast. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, and I'll find that person on Twitter and I'll say, oh man, they've only got like 15,000 followers. And then I go onto the podcast yeah, and, and they have 20,000 subscribers That's on right. YouTube, which is a much bigger right. number on YouTube. I mean, it's not, it's not the hundreds of thousands that the real, you know, influencers have on YouTube, but those people have focused on YouTube instead of focusing on Twitter. And, you know, for years, um, my friend, uh, Mike Cernovich, urged me to do to to get involved with video and I avoided it I didn't feel comfortable with it and it was actually when about a year ago when I saw what was you know the, the really heavy duty censorship that Twitter was getting involved you know was doing after the election uh, using January 6th and uh, Q as excuses that I said, I need to diversify. Now, diversifying into YouTube is ridiculous. I mean, they're probably more censorious than Twitter, but I wanted to have another medium and YouTube was the first place to go. Now I feel obviously a lot more, and then I, you know, Jeremy um, Core, who is producing this and listening into our conversation, uh, encouraged me to, start my own podcast and then I get to have this discussion with you. You know, I've been told, I, you know how many times I, and this is another area where I probably have felt because I can talk and talk and talk and you know, I don't even, I don't even need guests. I, I can, I can be my own. Yes. So I'm sure you can too. I've um, had guests who don't need, who don't need um, hosts <laughs> also. <laughs> I wonder if Jeremy knows who I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, I, but sort of pivoting back to the social media discussion. I just think that, Nobody has found the secret sauce yet. You know, you have locals. There's a bunch of people on locals. Um, uh, there's another site. It just escapes me right now. That looks a lot like Facebook. Um, oh, yeah. Which actually I went out on. Um, I mean, it's just everybody is trying to find the space in there. And this is at the same time that I think people are turned off a bit from social media. I, I really do. Like I, I like I wonder if in ten years from now, 
what social media will look like. It's a really interesting thought. What do you think? I, I think that it, there's likely to see a massive decline. Uh, I don't know, because what's the alternative? Uh, everyone in my house, we used to wake up to the radio. We used to wake up to the radio and, and get basic news and information from WCBS, News Radio, 88. Uh, 1010 Wins News. You give us 22 minutes, we give you the world. 1010 Wins. And, and you know, and then, uh, you know, I would listen to Don Imus, who was, you know, he could be a jerk about certain things, but it, he, you're, you're listening to an intelligent guy. And now you, you can't trust the radio. You can't, you know, we don't have a TV in our house, but it's the same thing. I mean, even 1010 Wins, which is a you know, a short take 20 minutes and then they recycle is so heavily politicized and it's, brought into the leftist narrative. news. Come on. It's totally leftist Com news. Completely. So if this social media is how people are communicating now, the question though, is what will, or your real question was, what will it look like? So you might say, well, maybe Twitter will be, you know, a ghost town. Um, or maybe it'll be something, it'll, it'll have been converted into something else. But this is the future. And one thing I realized when I started, you know, really becoming familiar with podcasting was this is where people are having the conversations that they won't have on the corporate news. Yeah, I think that, though, there's a tiring factor. You know, I, I understand you're completely right, of course. What's the alternative? People need to communicate and so on. But people get tired. If you look at what's going on with COVID right now, how long do you really think, other than a, a few people that are just totally brainwashed, people are going to walk around with masks on, right? I mean, the government, I mean, Biden can send a gazillion N95 masks, and I'm sure there'll be a bunch of people on the Upper West Side and Upper East Side of Manhattan that walk around with those masks yeah. on. But I'm going to tell you, in Florida, people are not going to be putting on N95 masks and, you know, sitting at the cafe on the water. You know, remember, though, in Florida, you are, you know, you have you know, women pull up beside you at a red light and check you out because you're like the young, new, young, new young meat in town. Okay? <laughs> My mother and her generation, and she's uh, not far from you in Boynton Beach. Yes. They're freaking terrified. She still won't let me visit her because... She, She's afraid of, she's afraid of something. Yes. Afraid of what, mom? I had COVID two years ago. What, and, you know, and I might be overweight, but comorbidity wise, I, I, you know, besides having had it and having natural immunity, what are you afraid of? I'm not, she's not afraid of me. She's had, you know, the 14,000 shots of, or, or I don't know, but they've just changed the whole way of an entire generation of people. Who, like my mother, is an immigrant from Cuba whose parents came from Poland to Cuba. This is not someone who, I mean, she walked around barefoot in a, in a dirt floor, in a house with a dirt floor. Right. So this is not a, you know, a snowflake. <laughs> and yeah, parents I, I think that there have been several atrocities, and I don't want to uh, over-exaggerate with the use of the word, I think there have been several atrocities committed during this COVID period of time. And I think the installation of fear in people and as a result, stealing their happiness and their ability to function as normal human beings 
is one of them. Obviously, locking down school children and not letting them go to school and making children take vaccines. And I mean, that's the biggest crime. But I think people's lives have been ruined forever. I think that if you're going to be a psychiatrist, now would be a good time to go into that field because the next 20 years are going to be filled with people that are damaged by this. So it really makes me mad. And, and it actually hurts when you tell me that. That you that you can't go see your mom or you can't go see this because of what they did. It's just, it's just such a horrible thing. And my answer will be, they will answer to God for this. It's as simple as that. I don't have to met out the punishment. I don't have to think about it. I know God will take care of this. Well, that is true. We say, you know, yesh din yesh Diane. There is justice, and there and there is a judge. And people often forget, you know, we get so we 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 get so busy. You know, you talk about. The thing, you know, we're talking about harm meat and working with harm meat and in my own, you know, a little bit to, to some extent, my own prior career before before I joined her firm. We've had the opportunity to be people who actually make changes in the in in the actual world with our work, which very few people do. But you can get the illusion. And I think to some extent, social media fosters this illusion because, hey, aren't we influencers? We have big following. So lots and lots of people that we really have the ability to move things and no person should despair of his ability to make a difference in the world. We, we know that, but on the other hand, we really have to remember, and the good thing about living in South Florida is the weather helps you remember that, that we didn't make this world and we don't really run this world in any meaningful sense. Yeah, I think the simple fundamental principle, the only thing we're, we're, the only thing we really have control over is our behavior, those moral choices we make, as as we know, and, and the and rest that, is all out of our hands. And, and you know, the, there's no more profound moral choice, you know, as than the choices you make when raising your children. And as you pointed out, because, you know, it's funny, you said, you know, the only, the only thing is you have is your moral choices. I always say that knowing so many fine people whose kids did not turn out great and they spent the time and energy, but the kids are still bums. At the end of the day, it's, it's hard as a parent to, to, to remind yourself that they are people who are not you. They make their own choices. And, but what, what I always say is the one thing you absolutely can teach them is manners. <laughs> you can at least so teach that them. That got lost. There's a whole generation that that got lost. I have this thing with, with people shouting in restaurants. Didn't you ever teach your kids about a restaurant voice? Come on. No, here's what I will say about raising children. Having written a book about my parenting experience, leader of the pack, I wrote a book about my raising five kids after their mom walked out on me and running a business and raising the kids at the same time and being pursued by the New Jersey court system. This is a whole nother story. You know, I ended up with a Supreme Court case out of that divorce, sort of a side case. It was a second amendment case against the state of New Jersey. And I'm probably the only person to ever beat them. And I won my rights back and they changed the law and a whole bunch of stuff. It's a whole nother, a oh, whole nother discussion. I should have prepped with that, with that case and found out yeah. why you're such a way. Cause I, I know that reading, listen, I get contacted all the time. I don't do family law. It's yeah. really one of the most depressing areas of law to practice. <laughs> it sure is. But if anyone ever says this is a man's world, introduce them to the family part of any That's state. Right. Oh my God, what a bloodbath. But your point though, you're about My to point is parenting, and I always try to remind myself of this, is one third, one third, one third. It's one third genetics. 
So if you're married to a lunatic, let's say, you have a child, there is a one half of one third chance the child will be a lunatic. The other third is what you put in. If you sit there and you electrocute them every day with the lamp cord, or you love them and build their self-esteem, you're probably going to affect a certain result. And you know, the other third is absolutely God. That's it. It's luck, God, universe, whatever it is. So you have at most control, at most one third. That's it. And, and, and people who absent themselves from taking that one third and making that investment, this is one of the things that a lot of people, a lot of conservatives on Twitter who I interact with uh, and in their writings elsewhere point out is the people who are running things are the worst possible examples of leaders of families. Absolutely. 100%. Biden, Biden is a his family is a mess. And all these years, have you ever seen this graphic that somebody made of the family and marriage status of almost all the heads of state in Western Europe? Almost all of them are unmarried or have no children. And, you know, one of the requirements to be a judge on the uh, Sanhedrin, on the, the you know, the, the, the Supreme Court of, of the ancient, uh, you know, the Jews when we were in our land and the temple stood, you could not be a Dayan, you could not be a judge on the Sanhedrin unless you had raised children. Because if you had never raised children, it was understood that you didn't really have, you basically didn't have a heart. You, you lacked the attribute of mercy because you have forgotten what it's like to be vulnerable, which children, having children and raising them reminds you of. So you have all these people making all these laws and all these, uh, you know, enactments and decrees, especially regarding COVID, but also regarding uh, economics and immigration. And children, and what to do with school and with school children. Yeah, but also even in, even in the bigger picture, they don't ask themselves, if we make our, if, if we eliminate our national border and allow our national culture to be transformed by people whose values do not in any way resemble ours, what will that do to the world my children and grandchildren are growing up in? They don't ask that because that's not part of their experience or their worldview. I think they're so narcissistic that even when they do have children, they just care. They figure we'll have enough money. We'll be in the 1% in power. We'll always be here. And it doesn't matter. Who cares what happens to the rest of the people? The really, the big problem is not them. The real problem is the people who vote for them and put them in office. I, I'm having this conversation, actually, it started now. I've had somebody come to me, actually yesterday, and they said to me, you know, Eric Adams, he, he isn't so great. I'm like, I'm like, I, I'm what, like. What were you thinking? What, what were you thinking? Did you, did you, or did, tell me, did you vote for de Blasio? Because you've been blaming everybody else, but in the meanwhile, actually probably didn't vote because they don't even bother to vote in New York City. But the, the principle I'm, I'm saying is still a sound one. It's like, who put him in power? What, didn't you hear him? Of course he's gonna do exactly the same thing. Okay, he's, nobody can quite be as bad as Bill de Blasio, but he's gonna be 5% or 10% better. The city's screwed, that's it, come on. But, what, but, but as you say, we expect the elites to 
vote and to act in their own elite interests. But why do the rank and file allow them to, you know, whose votes are the ones that really count, allow them to do that? And there's a tribalism now with with um, with uh, political parties. Very few people would believe who know me uh, only through social media that I voted for Bill Clinton when he first ran for president because I didn't like the cut of George W. Bush's jib. Um, and Clinton was a centrist Democrat. And I thought that he could really accomplish things for this country. First thing he did in office was don't ask, don't tell. I mean, he immediately, his priority, he, you know, he sold himself as a centrist and he relatively was a centrist. But the fact that his first act in office was to attempt back then, that was before the Supreme Court, legislated quite as obviously as they do now to change the, um, you know, the rules regarding, uh, you know, homosexual identity and participation in the military. It's unthinkable now for someone like me. There's no one I can imagine the Democrats putting up that I could ever vote for. Of course. Well, but because also, they shifted so far left. I mean, so far left, Marxist left. So there's an interesting question is, you know, people even so, I, apparently you know, a lot of these um, bulwark types is, you know, anyone but Trump. What is it? Uh, never Trumpers. Never Trumpers. Right. And, you know, that's funny because that was a phrase that was on my lips all the time for the previous few years. And I like, thankfully, it's not so much an issue, but the never Trumpers are saying, hey, this what's with Biden? I, we thought he was like a normal guy. You, you did really? You did because all you had to do was realize that he was a Manchurian candidate. He was being put in place he by the people running the party. And he has, like, every time I see a tweet that says, Biden, what will Biden think? What will Biden approve? He doesn't make any decisions. Who could possibly no. think he's making decisions? No, they turn the little lever on the back, they wind it a few times. And literally, he walks out like that. But this is obvious to people who don't have cognitive dissidence. The, the, the Democrat Party, in my mind, has become the party of the brainwashed and the low information voter. Were and you ever a Democrat? masterfully manipulate that. And you know how you see that? When a story breaks, like look at the, um, the hostage situation in that synagogue. The first headline that came out is that it was a white supremacist. Now, they knew that it wasn't a white supremacist, and they knew they would retract that. But the low information voter and the brainwashed person now just remembers that first headline and then goes away from the news and sitting, drinking their beer or smoking a joint in their backyard and never sees anything. And then that becomes fact for them for a certain percentage of their voter base. And, and that's what's going on. And so I, I, this, this quote gets attributed to a bunch of people, maybe Thomas Jefferson, maybe so on, the people ultimately get the government they deserve. And if you're not willing to be educated and understand what's going on and think for yourself and not have Chris Cuomo think for you, you um, you're going to figure out what's going on because the information is right there for you to see. It was no surprise what Biden did. It's no surprise what Eric Adams did. It was no surprise what Obama did from the day he launched his campaign trying to, on the coattails of Abraham Lincoln, 
right? When he did it, he launched his initial campaign on the steps of Springfield, Illinois. Like, I like, are you kidding me? You first term senator trying to get. So if people can just open their eyes and just see what's going on, they're not going to vote for these people, but they're too brainwashed. They're too low information and we're screwed. Were you ever a Democrat, Matt? Never, not never. for a second. So you not never had a heart. You only, only, only ever had a brain. I mean, when I think that I supported George Bush and I thought that that was conservative, I'm just as embarrassed. Okay. Which one do you mean or both? Uh, uh, it doesn't, it does, yeah, both. I mean, I felt pretty comfortable with George W. Bush until Trump when I just couldn't recognize the guy. And I realized, wow, Trump is stepping on some nerve. Mm -hmm. uh, of the bushes that is crazy now it could just be listen i'm a little bit naive it could just be that he resents he thought this was going to be jeb's presidency and everyone in the family would have a chance it is i believe by the way i believe it is petty petty jealousy petty upset sore losing you know the whole thing That's i think it's it also i bet it's also a class thing and i once wrote a you know i I, I don't bother writing essays anymore. I write threads and, you know, <laughs> I'm probably losing out of, on some publication credits that I could get if I would put these threads in, in together as essays. But I, I once wrote a, a rather long thread about how Trump in many respects is the first Jewish president. Yes, he is. Agreed. hundred percent. He, he comes out of the, he comes out of the, out of the boroughs. He's pushy. He's nouveau riche. He said, you know, he, he doesn't have good table manners. He's entertaining, but, you know, he shakes things up and the old money resents the hell out of him and will do anything to make sure that he, you know, that he doesn't succeed. The idea, you know, as a New Yorker, you know, the idea that Trump was ever an anti-Semite was just so ridiculous. I know, it's just completely, it's just, I mean, he's or the racist. most Jewish-friendly person, and he said it himself. He goes, what's wrong with half the Jewish people who don't support Israel and don't support me? I'm like, there's nobody can be more Jewish than me supporting Jewish people. What's wrong no, with that? Because they have, an, they have a, a religion, and it's, uh, it's the Democratic Party. And their, and their Torah is the New York Times, so we're... Uh, that's, that's right. I have a friend who's a, who says they, they do shnein mikrav echad they do they do their they do their their daily um, study of that week's Torah portion and and its explanation by reading the Times every morning. It's considered yeah. to be indispensable. Matt, we had we didn't know what we were going to talk about, but obviously you and I could talk all day. I want you to tell me a little bit more before we go off about your. Uh, your your um emission i mean is it possible i thought conservatives were in favor of pollution yes i am uh, see it's really a fake system and what we're really doing is doubling the pollution <laughs> so, and, in, and in the process putting puppies in blenders that's right correct that's right and i did push grandma off the cliff in addition to that i do it i try to find grandma's and push them off the cliff. Um, so we have a very cool invention. Uh, we're going to be installing it in three different ports in Italy next year. And it basically reduces the emissions of a docked ocean going ship to near zero. This is a major worldwide health and air quality problem. If you go to the port of Los Angeles 
and you go to Long Beach, California, people are wiping heavy metals and soot and diesel particulate off their cars and in their lungs, spitting it out all over the place. And they get away with it because the shipping business is enormous and nobody's stopping them. But we have a really fantastic device that's going to do that. And we hope we change the world with it. Greener process systems. How did you, but I mean, how does a guy with your background, your, you, you, I think, is it fair to say that your first successful business was the, the camera store business? And you and I could have an entire hour on that because I, I was a 70s amateur photographer, you know, and I had the, the, the you know, the, the dark room in the basement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the best uh, and larger, you have a Bessler and larger. I couldn't afford a Bessler. <laughs> but, you know, I, but one thing I, so how does a guy with the, the with those kind of interests find himself in a business like this? Did someone approach you with the technology and you decided to invest in it? Is- I, I, think, I think the way I'm going to answer that question is in the photo industry, I kind of reached the pinnacle of the business. I was Before the business collapsed. <laughs> right. Before it collapsed, I was like smart. At, I, this is one of the few smart decisions I've made in my life. If you read my book, Leader of the Pack, you're going to see the book is filled with all of my stupidity. You, you just, but this you was just, the smart thing. You decided they, they not, not, not to buy a franchise, uh, not to franchise Willoughby's all over the country. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, um, I, I was person of the year in the photo industry for some innovation that I did there and basically sold the share of my business and left. And, and that's a really tricky thing to do when you're at the top of the business, everybody knows you and I wanted to start over again. So I've been out there running startups and doing this thing and I got recruited to run this company because I know how to fix things and make things run and do all of that. And those skills are, are industry uh, agnostic. It doesn't matter. And cool. so it's just through connection, through networking, through being out there, somebody said, hey, we want you to run this company. We know you can get us across the finish line. And we've had a very successful first year. We've won a big contract from the Italian ministry of the environment. And uh, we're about to do, we're about, we're about to do this. So life, sometimes in life, you have to take the risks. And um, I just couldn't imagine myself one day dying behind the counter of a camera store, you know, rigor mortis sets in (laughs) and all you see is my fingers on the top of the glass, you know. (laughs) Matt, fantastic talking to you. We have to do this again. I'm always, I'm always reluctant to say that because I, I those words are usually like when you ever do it, you know, this, if you ever do uh, t- TV, they say, you go, we got to have you back again. You never hear from them again, but <laughs> you and I at least have gotten to know each other a little bit better. Yes. And you're, you're a fascinating American. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, and uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see you in the funny papers. The pleasure was all mine. Thank you, Ron. God bless. You too. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.